Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sermon text today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, where Paul says, What I received from the Lord I passed on to you. And then he goes on to recite the words of institution that Jesus said. It's recorded in the Gospels about how he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, and took the cup and said, This is the covenant for forgiveness of sins. I want to, to let you know that today is filled with several bad illustrations. And I also want to say that uh, if I had drawn this, uh, I, I didn't draw this, it would have been much worse. Uh, but what we have here is, is a skull, if you can't tell. Maybe you're in the back, or maybe you just uh, realize that um, it's a little challenging to draw a skull. So this is a skull, and the reason why I, I have this on our first little sheet uh, today is that there's a story, there's a novel titled Lying Awake. It's about a convent that's outside of Los Angeles, and life there is pretty strict. You see, the nuns in this convent are incredibly focused or hyper-focused on nothing but all things spiritual. The physical world does not matter at all. It's all about prayer. It's all about spiritual things in this convent, to the point that whenever they gather around for dinner, even in the evening for dinner, there's no conversation or laughter heard around the table. They eat in total silence. The only thing you can hear is that there's a nun whose, whose turn it is to read scripture and read a devotion while they eat. And also on this table, though, is a skull. And uh, the skull is there as a reminder that nothing lasts, that, that one day they will, in fact, die. And even the food that they eat should be valued as something that's only temporary, something that can only help for just a moment in time, but nothing that can save you, nothing that can help you, nothing that can protect you against death. And so the skull sits on the table there for dinner and every other meal as a reminder that death is indeed coming. And I wonder for us today, if as we come forward to the Lord's table, if there isn't also a skull there for us. And what I mean is, is this. We have Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 11 that tells us that if, if we come forward and receive the body and blood of Jesus in a manner that is unworthy, we're guilty of sin. So Paul says, examine yourselves before you come up to the table. And this hits on one of the questions that I got about communion is, how do I know if I'm worthy? And so Paul here says to examine yourself. And what does that mean? Well, you can ask yourself several questions. I mean, you can ask yourself how you've been as a husband or as a wife this past week or this recent stretch of time. You can, you can ask how you've been to your coworkers or to your friends. You can ask yourself about how you've treated your children or grandchildren, your friends and neighbors. You can ask deeper questions, not just about what you've done, but who you've been, who you've been, and contemplate that as you come forward to receive the body and blood of Jesus. If we went through all of those questions, we'd recognize right away that, that no one is worthy. No one is worthy of Jesus. And we could, we could go even further, actually, and we could look at Paul's concern. In 1 Corinthians 11, it, he's writing to a church that has communion messed up in ways that we can't even imagine. You, you have people there that, that can afford to buy all the wine. And because they can afford to buy all the wine, guess what they do with it? They drink all of the wine. And those people that can't afford to have a little extra wine, well, they don't get any extra wine at all. And so some people are hungry at the Lord's table. Some people are drunk. 
And I've never had that experience, to be honest with you. I've never once had to like tear the chalice away from somebody or do this tug of war with liquid in the cup. But that's how it was. Paul's concern is, is not just about our outward actions towards people out of here. How have you been towards your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you right now fostering a grudge? I'm not talking about struggling with a grudge and, and doing that. I'm, I'm trying to forgive this person and fighting sincerely to forgive that person, even though it's hard. You might be in process of that, and that's fine. But are you fostering a grudge, holding a grudge, kindling a grudge? Are you taking aggressive or passive-aggressive actions against a fellow believer? Are there people that you're glad aren't here today or wish weren't here today? The answer to those questions also reveals once again that we are completely and utterly unworthy of receiving Jesus. But I would at least point this out. As you come forward to receive communion, Think about your sins. Repent of your sins. Confess them to the Lord in prayer as you come up, but don't do it to the extent that you forget that there's life at the table as well. That this gift is for the forgiveness of sins. That this gift is for you, sinner as you are. So we're going to flip the page here, and I just want to throw out a warning. This is kind of an aside in the sermon. Um, the legs on this easel, I found out this morning, are really frail. And so it's more than likely. I got through the early service. I don't know if I'm going to get through it twice. So I don't want to startle you. This easel is going to collapse, I'm sure, at one point. I hope it doesn't happen just now, but I don't want to frighten you or anything. Uh, if that should happen, I'll just have somebody hop up and hold this thing for me. Um, but here we go. Uh, just don't be surprised. You can laugh. Just don't be surprised. Thank the Lord and sing his praise. So we have here a cross, and there's several things on it, and I'm sorry if you can't see it in the back. I see a lot of squinting going on. Plus, I'm standing in front of it right now to block you from seeing it. That's on purpose. We have a lot of different interpretations about what happens in the Lord's Supper. Obviously, being the only Lutheran church here in Gainesville, most people tell you something different about communion if we were to go someplace else on a Sunday morning. So why do we say what we say? Why do we say very simply that it is the body and blood together with the bread and the wine of Jesus Christ? Why do we say that? Well, we in the Lutheran Church focus on this one simple word, is. When Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper on that night that he is betrayed before he goes to the cross, he gathers with his disciples, and for a time he teaches them, and then they celebrate the Passover meal. And in celebrating the Passover meal, at one moment, surprisingly, he gets up, takes the bread, after he had given thanks, he broke it. And as he's giving it to the disciples, he says, this is my body. And then the same thing with the cup. He says, he raises the cup, and he says that this cup is the new covenant, the New Testament, for the forgiveness of sins. And he gives it to each of them. When we hear Jesus say, this is my body, this is my blood, we take him at his word. That this is, in fact, his body and his blood that we're receiving here at communion, in and with the bread and the wine. These things come together at one time. But there are other churches that will tell you that it's, it's a symbol. It's, it's representative of Jesus' body and blood. Coming forward is more of a moment of unity in the faith or confessing your faith in Jesus than it is about actually receiving the gift of forgiveness of sins. And those churches oftentimes will focus on these words. 
Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. And to get to how we can look at those words, we'll go back to the Old Testament, the Passover feast. That was a feast that was instituted at the time when the people of Israel were about to be sprung from Egypt. They had been slaves there for many, many years. And these were his people, and God would not tolerate their slavery or their suffering any longer. So he sent Moses. And Moses came and he delivered these ten mighty acts of God. And these, this last act happens here on the night of the Passover. There will be a plague on the firstborn of Egypt. Every firstborn child dies. And the people of Israel, however, are spared from this plague as they follow the instructions for this feast. They are to take a lamb, sacrifice it, and paint its blood over their doorposts. They're also to do some other things. They're, they're supposed to eat a certain particular food prepared in a certain particular way. And they eat the food in a way that's interesting. They, they, they eat the food of the Passover with their belts buckled, with their sandals on, and a staff in their hands. With their belts buckled, their sandals on, and a staff in their hands. If you see somebody eating like that, what would you think? They're ready to go, right? This is, this is Old Testament fast food, all right? And so they know that, that, that Jesus could come at, at any, or that Jesus come, that Moses could come at any moment and tell them, hey, we got to get out of here. And before Pharaoh has a chance to change his mind, they're standing up, staff in hand, and they're walking out the door. But the interesting thing is, is that they're supposed to celebrate this feast in the same way generation after generation, year after year, century after century, that, that even long after they're safe and secure in the promised land, they on the night of the Passover would remember what happened many centuries ago, and they would eat this food in the way that it was supposed to be prepared, and they would sit down, belts buckled, sandals on, staff in their hands. Isn't that weird? And I would tell you that they're doing something more than just remembering that this moment of salvation happened. And I would go even further and say that they're doing something more than just reenacting an event in history. What they are doing whenever they're celebrating the Passover is recognizing that even on this night, even though it's centuries after the first Passover, God is delivering salvation to them. God broke them once out of Egypt. And now God is keeping them free from Egypt and all others as they dwell in safety in the promised land. God is a living God. He doesn't care to call us to, to simply reenact events from the past. He's a God who is about bringing salvation to you now. And so it goes then. When we look at the cross of Jesus, we can apply a similar type of thinking. When we look at the cross of Jesus, we see one event that happened in history. But when we come forward to receive the crucified Jesus and the bread and wine of communion, we're not coming forward simply remembering an event, remembering a historical date that happened on such and such a day. But no, we're coming before the cross of Jesus. And we're not coming before the crucified Jesus in a way that is nostalgic, like, oh, you know, what a nice thing that Jesus has done, and I'm very fond of him for doing this. Instead, we're coming before the crucified Jesus, the one who was sacrificed once and for all for the sins of the world. So what happened on that cross? Well, we have that all the past sins committed before Jesus' death were placed on Jesus, all the present sins, and all the sins of the future 
all the sins that that the previous generations would commit, all the sins that you have and will commit have been placed upon Jesus. He bore the sins of the world. And his one death, and his one sacrifice for sins, all of that was put upon him. And also then from this cross, while your sins are brought back to the cross, brought forward is the forgiveness of sins to you. As you come before the crucified Jesus, you receive the forgiveness of sins that was won for you on the cross. As you come forward, you are receiving salvation. As you come forward to communion, it is like coming before the cross of Jesus Christ as He sheds His blood for you. These are gifts that we really receive. Sins taken off of us, brought to the cross. Forgiveness brought forward now into our present as the Lord Himself delivers it. But there's more. Next bad illustration. This one I did draw. I'm particularly proud of it. Yeah. yeah that's an empty tomb. Already a, a, a classic work of Christian art. If you'd like this, I'll sign it for you. And so I, I put this up here to remind us also that, that the early church, as it was celebrating communion, as it was teaching that they were receiving the body and blood of Jesus Christ, they were accused of cannibalism. I mean, just think about how it sounds if you're an out, outsider, if you're not used to this. Hey, we uh, ate the body of our Lord and, and drank his blood. Cool. Um, no, I don't want to go to church with you. <laughs> and so, and, and again, and we've already noted that, that our teaching is different and strange than from what you would get here in Gainesville, Georgia. Yeah, that we receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's weird sounding. And the truth is, there's nothing I can say that, that won't make it sound weird. But we don't just feast on a dead man. The living Jesus, the one who has been raised from the dead, comes to deliver life and salvation to us. In fact, this is what Luther says about the Lord's Supper. He says, wherever there is forgiveness of sins, life and salvation follow. And so the living Jesus, who has conquered death, comes not only to give us forgiveness, but to give us his victory over sins and death. He comes to give us that salvation. He comes to give us a new life in his name. As we come forward to receive the bread and wine, he does all that in and with these simple and ordinary things. Which leads us to just a little bit of irony. first mighty act that God did, and I know we're used to calling them plagues, but I would argue that we should probably actually call them mighty acts that God does through Moses in Egypt. The first mighty act that he does is to turn the Nile River into blood. But it wasn't just the Nile River. No, it was every stream that flowed off of the Nile River, every lake, every pond, even the water that had been previously collected in vessels before the plague struck was turned to blood. In short, every source of drinking water in Egypt was turned to blood. There was no water anymore. There was only blood. And that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> God was delivering this judgment upon Egypt, and it was indeed a deadly judgment, because the human body doesn't have a filter for iron, which is something that blood has a lot of. And so the more iron you consume, the more toxic it can become to you. 
And so if you're curious about that, I do have a chart to help us to further understand. Things that can drink blood. Vampire bats. Leeches. Salesmen. Yes. People. No. And so that joke killed in the early service. I don't know what, where you guys are. Um, and so we have here, of course, something that would be poison to the people of Egypt. And yet at the same time, the people of Israel were being delivered. God's work of deliverance was already underway, even in this first act. What was judgment to Egypt is now deliverance to Israel, to the children of Abraham. And so it is for us. As we gather before the crucified Jesus, we know that, that his cross is judgment for sin. We recognize that the wages of sin, as Paul tells us, is death. And when we see Jesus dying on the cross, we recognize the price of our sin, the price that God paid for us through sending his son, Jesus Christ. And at the same time, the judgment works in a different way, that, that those who did not believe were the ones who were mocking and insulting Jesus, the ones who tortured him before his death. That before the cross, while, while this great work of salvation is being done, the unbelief of others is being brought out and accented in a way that cannot be denied. That, that before the cross, unbelief is drawn out as well as belief. That, that before the cross, those who do not believe will always mock and ridicule and reject Christ. It will be apparent and obvious. And yet those who come to the cross in faith receive deliverance and salvation. Jesus Christ, then, is our filter, in a way of speaking. He is that thing which we lack. Otherwise, the poison of our sin and the judgment of God would destroy us, and rightfully so. But instead, Jesus has stood in the way for us he has endured that punishment, that wrath of God. So now as we come forward to drink his blood of the new covenant, it is not poison but nourishment for us. Which leads us to these last two words that we'll talk about today, for you. For you, this is his body and his blood given and shed for you. And again, the question that I got was, how do I know if I'm worthy to receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ? Because I would suspect that a question like that comes from a, a feeling of guilt over sin. Maybe an overwhelming feeling. And maybe you didn't ask that question, but maybe you know that feeling. And maybe you have that feeling right now. Maybe you wonder if you really are worthy to come forward and be in the presence of Jesus Christ. Well, I would tell you that the moment that you begin to feel the weight of your sin and your unworthiness is exactly the right moment to come forward to receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. This gift is for you, the sinner that you are. When Jesus said, eat this and drink this, he knew exactly the kind of people that would be coming forward and eating and drinking it. And yet he didn't back down from saying it. 
And yet also the, the authors of Scripture didn't mind recording it time and time again and passing it down to the churches, one church after another, that this is for you. Or maybe you're wondering for your, to yourself, well, I don't feel that sad. I don't feel that, that sorrowful over my sins this morning. Maybe you came in here happy and excited for, for the day. Well, don't worry, I'm here now. I can, I can fix that. Uh, <laughs> I want you to just take your hand. This is something that, that Luther would tell us to do, so, so it's okay. All right. Uh, take your hand, take your hand, and, and just pat your shoulder. Pat your shoulder. Did you feel flesh and blood when you did that? Did you feel flesh and blood, bone, muscle maybe? I didn't feel any muscle, but maybe some of you did. Um, you know, if you felt flesh and blood, then reassure yourself that you are, in fact, a sinful human being. We don't put the emphasis on how repentant we are, because the truth is we can never be repentant enough. We can never say we're sorry enough for the things that we've done to other people, for the ways that we've hurt our relationship with God, the ways that we've hurt ourselves. The wages of sin is death, and so in order to be sorrowful enough, we'd have to be sorrowful unto death. We'd have to literally kill ourselves with grief. And then it still probably wouldn't be enough. So if you don't feel repentant enough for your sins, come forward. Come forward and believe that this is his body and blood. Come forward and know that you are receiving life, and salvation, and forgiveness. I'm not encouraging you to be lackadaisical about your sin, because if you are harboring sin, willfully sinning, then maybe it's best to not come. But if you're just worried about how repentant you are, and if it's a Sunday morning where, where all of a sudden, you know, you don't know if you're repentant enough, come forward and press forward into those grace and promises. Because as we receive forgiveness, life, and salvation, so gratitude over that gift grows. And as that gratitude grows, so also our desire to love and serve our Lord grows. And out of that, then, whenever we fall, whenever we stumble, comes repentant because we desire not to be separated from our Lord. Come forward, you who are weary and heavy laden. He will give you rest. Come forward, you who are downtrodden and burdened with your sins. Come forward, you who believe that this is the real body and blood. Come forward, free of having to constantly hold a measuring stick up to your own faith and your repentance and know that his promises are real and they are for you. Come forward to the table. And recognize that on that table, it's a gift. Amen.